0: Welcome back to the Boundary Corner podcast, along with my partner, Brian Siegla. I'm Curtis Wilson. This episode is presented by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg, Virginia. If you love this podcast, if you love the Hokies, and if you love the town of Blacksburg, make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town.
1: Whether you need prescriptions, a tube
0: of toothpaste, or just want to say hello, let Jeremy and his
1: team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things that you love and support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head on down to 301 South Main Street. Tell them Curtis and Brian sent you. Big man, how you feeling tonight? Buddy, I'm feeling good. We're here on a Tuesday night. We are... uh, Kind of kind of full on into fall now. That weather was nice today. Oh, my
0: gosh. The weather's been nice, it feels like, since the middle of last week. After the hurricane came through a couple weeks ago, it feels like it hasn't turned back. We haven't seen it. I got fall baseball on over here. Uh, Yankees, Guardians, Indians, 4-1. Uh, we start getting midweek football this week. With the fun belt going on, there we go on, on Wednesdays, and then the action starts pretty soon on Tuesdays. There'll soon be a mat game back here. <laughs> Baseball, Baseball up here, it's 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 the time of year, man. I mean, you guys, you guys, do anything fun over the weekend?
1: Uh, we we went down to South Boston, man. We uh, okay, we hit up the uh, the county fair just before the game started on Saturday. Um,
0: Another sign of fall right there at County Fair. Br-
1: brought some barbecue home from the fair. Had a little uh, little dinner at the house while we watched the game. So, doesn't get much better than that, man. How about you?
0: Um, baseball, obviously, Saturday before the game. Uh, and then went out to Lloyd's Pumpkin Farm out in Goochland on Saturday, which was a blast. The 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 Hay Fort, which is, I mean – it's hilarious to see your kids get up there, run and jump up and down. Corn maze, all that fun stuff. Pick some pumpkins. There we go. Made the check. Got some Got some good picks with the kids. Little girls first time going out there. So it was an absolute blast. Um, so, again, it, it falls here and, and it's football weather. And, you know, Saturday was that great day. Had all the windows open up, opened up here in the man cave watching the game where the Hokies, unfortunately, do fall to pit 45-29. And I think for a lot of us, that game – I don't know any way to – it felt like there was some hope, right, some hopium in there in that game.
1: Yeah, we saw some signs of life, and I think that's kind of what we've been looking for the last couple weeks. Um especially from the offensive side of the ball with some signs of life. And we, we finally got those, um, you know, the offense was able to run the ball much more effectively against that pit front, uh, which I was kind of shocked because that, that's probably one of the two best defensive fronts we've seen this season. Yeah. And the last time we saw a front that good, we were pretty much shut the fuck out. So yes, we the the fact that we were, I'll say effective, not good, but effective running the football against them um, is is definitely a a positive sign there. Um, You know, and then uh, other than that, we saw kind of a mixed bag. We saw some things to like about what we saw on defense. And then we had a a good handful of plays that we didn't like. And then we saw very, very up and down special teams play. You had a big block uh, that resulted in a touchdown, but then you had a lot of short punts. Yeah. Some other snafus, um, you, ha- you had a blocked extra point. So there was kind of just, there were things all over the place that, you know, were, 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 I think, good things and things you can build off of and things that you just kind of look at and scratch your head and say, how do we let that happen?
0: Well, well let's start there with the thing that probably scratched our head the most is kind of a regression of the defense on Saturday, but it wasn't in all areas. And but, but let's be honest, Brian, it was really only one area.
1: It was really only one player. <laughs> one, one player,
0: one area. Um, and it's the one player Brian mentioned that he, he knew he was banged up. He was hoping we didn't see, and that was Izzy anaconda. I mean, over 300 yards. And, and, and you look at those numbers. I had someone who was out of town as a Hokie fan say, what happened? Like, oh, my God, they ran all over us. So I'm like, dude, they didn't run all over us. Like, they had eight plays. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, eight plays. Had, he had eight carries of 10 or more yards. Two hundred forty-two yards on those plays. That's that's insane. Yeah. And we're sitting here as I'm as I'm diving this on Saturday night, watching some of the late games, watching Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I look at the other twenty-six carries, and it's like seventy-eight yards. But all those eight carries over six of the eight turned into touchdowns, and yeah. then the other two essentially flipped the field significantly on each time and I mean so Brian say what it is say what it was up front where we saw that big regression
1: yeah I mean we had some run fit issues um throughout the the (laughs) game particularly when they went uh with the split zone and the power um especially when they went power to the heavy side that really gave us some fits in in terms of getting to our run fits um and, and you said it you know eight carries, 242 yards, the other 26 carries, 78 total. So we're looking at under three a carry, except for those eight. And those other eight are are, you know, are, are 30 yards a carry. <laughs> I
0: insane. mean, that's,
1: that, that's, that's a, that's a big, that's a big swing there. Um, but I mean, I think what we're seeing is that, you know, Will is still a, a rotating cast of characters and that was probably the most inconsistent play uh, in the game, in the running game. Um, you know, we saw guys getting some, some bad fits, um, little slow to get reads, things like that. Um, you know, no Harvey or strong. So that meant Breon Murray was playing some nickel playing outside more. Um, he took some bad angles, uh, in, in run support down the field. So, I mean, there, there's a couple things there, but I'm going to run through the kind of, Seven plays that kind of change change the
0: game for the Hokies here. I right, um, be- before we get into those seven plays, big announcement today. You hit me, you pop me on the depth chart. Essentially, the guy we expected to be starting at will is back this week in Allen Tisdale. Yep. So, and, and I know you were saying to me, we know what Tisdale is, we know what Tisdale can do, and that's a bigger thing where we saw. What Brian's going to discuss here with some of the will linebackers, um, we hope to not see because he has been practicing. He, he probably is going to be in game shape.
1: Yeah, he's been on the scout team, so he's definitely in game shape. And you know, he's he's obviously been here since the you know the, the new regime arrived, so he should have a good understanding of of the defense, even though he doesn't necessarily have those game reps yet. Um, so I mean, the question at this point is that you know is, is he going to be full bore this week? Is he going to be on a pitch count? You know what that's going to what's that going to look like? But in terms of having a guy that has a, a combination of talent and experience, there's really no one better for that position on the roster right now. So hopefully that we see some uptick there. But um, you know, let's get into it. We the first play that we that we look at here is a, a 38 yard touchdown. Um, Split zone, uh, we saw Kendricks kind of lose his gap. Um, and that resulted in the entire right side kind of getting blocked by that tight end that's coming back across the formation. And that, that created a huge hole that kind of put guys in the secondary on islands. And you get a guy that is as good as a Canada is at the second and third level of the defense, and, and
0: it's a recipe for disaster. Me and you stared at this play for about 10 minutes looking at it today because we're still trying to figure out what the line call was because Kendricks is – what you say? He was in three, right?
1: He was in a two-eye. He, he actually two-eye. shifted to a three. Um I don't know if that was like a – it's a belly check. I mean, sometimes you have that when you kind of read that a, a split zone might be coming. I don't know if that that's what the check was. Um, but they didn't do it every time that we saw a split zone, so I'm not sure exactly
0: um if that's what is that if that was the call. And then I told you what kept catching my mm-hmm. eye was he and Jay Griff were on the same line. To yeah. me, that's always a that's a huge giveaway that something went wrong because if you're going down the same line, there is somewhere open and you know, why are you pursuing the exact same Lineal, like, right?
1: Well, the, the other thing is that, you know, when, when Kendricks jumped outside, I was like, that looks a little funky, but he jumped outside and then he didn't attack the tight end or the, the end of the line of scrimmage the way you think he would if that was what he was supposed to be doing. Um, so he still had bad technique even if he did the right um, – you know the right slant there, so I'm not sure exactly what was going on there. But he kind of took himself out of the play because he took himself out of the play. That also took Griffin out of the play, and that whole uh, side of the defense was kind of wide open and and let Abanda kind of get up there in the second level.
0: And like me and you looking, like you said, if he just attacked the tight end, he likely pushes the tight end. Because of the size differential. Kensick's two ninety five. That tight end's about one forty. He likely pushes him right into that run lane where if nothing else, he well, you at least
1: you at least pinch that that lane down where Izzy either has to go through it slower, uh, more hesitant, uh, or he has to kind of bounce it out and that puts it back in in play for Griffin there. So yeah. um, you know, you hate that. Um, you know, we, we said the second one there, another split zone. Um, this one uh it looks like Panay you know, loses his gap. Um trying to you know, he kind of doesn't get his head across like, like you want him to. Uh and then he looks like he kind of panics, undercuts, um, and then it doesn't quite get to the ball carrier. Uh wide open rush lane for a band of Kanda. And next thing you know, you know, another big gain.
0: You made it sound when you talked to me about that play when we looked at it, you said he knew he did something wrong and instead of crossing the face, he just tried to shoot gap. And as soon as he did that, and, and what it's that pressing and technique, right? Like not trusting you're because you said if he just would have went with him, it's not a 28 yard gain. Well He'd he probably gets he, he
1: didn't he didn't cross his the, the, the uh the lineman's face like you would like yeah. him to, but instead of like just continuing to press the blocker uh and, and kind of hold that ground, he tries to shoot underneath him and doesn't make the play. If he probably holds that, he probably gets some help because you had Kendricks that had beat his man and was coming from the backside there. So, I mean, there was a chance that, that, you know, you get a tackle for loss there. And if you don't, you at least give your, your guys in the secondary some more time where they can get, um, into a better position to make a play at the second level there. But unfortunately we didn't see that. And that was, a, that was a blitz call that was kind of away from the point of attack, um, so, I mean, it was a good call relative to the defensive call. It kind of put us in a in a bad spot from Jump Street. Um, So, that hurt, but then we also hurt ourselves in not kind of doing what we needed to do there.
0: Yeah, and, and that was a 28-yard where they were on their side of the field, I think, about at the 25 or 30. So, it immediately flipped the field. So, it wasn't like the – none of these happened with the exception of what we'll talk about, oh – Hello, Robbie. That oh, we I have not talked to Robbie since Friday. I don't know what that means. Also, good evening, Lavar, with us on Facebook. Um, but like every play was of crucial, and then the next one is that seventeen-yard run, um, which again is it, it? It's like the head took over, and the instincts didn't for everybody, but the guy trying to make the play.
1: Yeah, I mean, 17-yard touchdown run. It was split zone on third and two. Cole Nelson gets there, has him in the backfield. It's going to be a loss of one yard. Got him wrapped up. Um, And then all of a sudden, you know, Izzy keeps his legs grinding. Um, Nelson gets a little bit of a bump, kind of falls off the tackle, and next thing you know, Izzy's scampering to the end zone. Uh, But there's others that were around the ball carrier. I think we're a little too content to let Nelson kind of finish that tackle solo. Um, You know, I know Kendrick's was getting kind of blocked. I think either Kendrick's or Fuga were kind of getting blocked around the the point of attack. So you kind of understand that, but you know, I think Dax and um, Kianta were a little more hesitant than I'd like them to be of of getting in there to kind of finish that tackle off. Um, And then ultimately, you know, the tackle's broken and he's scampering into the end zone. So, you know, that's one where you're, holding them to three. And now all of a sudden they get seven.
0: And, and that is that, you know, those little things were the, the differences in the game. Um, what about the next? I did not look at the next one with you. I, I, we, we had a breakup for a few minutes. Where was this one at? This was obviously after one of the bad punts.
1: Yeah. This is the right after the bad punt. Um, this is what happens when you're effective with your bread and butter. Uh, in this case, they were running split zone very fa- effectively, um, hitting us for kind of big gashes. And you see us start to kind of flow and follow that. Well, now you've got the guy that's coming across the formation and normally kicking out on the backside. Well, now you've got him sneaking out into the flat, uh, catching a little dump off from Keaton Slovis, and he goes up the, up the field for a very large gain, immediately goes from you know short field to field goal range in one play. Um, and and that's kind of that that's that's one you hate to see, but you understand it because when when you're having when you're effective in in one thing, you can kind of work off that and counter off that and do some other things that give the defense some fits.
0: Yeah. Now the next one we did look at together, and, and this goes back to if, if Bud Foster used to always preach it: there, guys, when they're young, their head and their feet don't talk to each other. And this next play, this next touchdown run. It was a sign of it, and for Jaden Keller, it makes sense. Jaden Keller, as you mentioned, Brian, a couple times to me, and when we're on here, it's the first time he's played this position. And when something, when this, play, when a play like this happens, you, you, if when you look at it and you see it live on game oh, he didn't do the right thing. And then when you look at it like we did, I looked at it five times with you. That means you looked at it probably fifteen by yourself before we got together. Just kind of say what it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a twenty-seven yard touchdown run. It was just a zone play. Um, you know, pretty straightforward. There was no window dressing here. There was no extra crap, uh, extra gap created by the the split zone. Um, this should have been a pretty easy read. Um, Keller's a little slow getting his run read. He doesn't mirror um, those zone steps, um, and a little hesitant with. You know, getting that read and making that move towards the line of scrimmage, and now all of a sudden you've got, you know, a, a lot bigger area for that running back to kind of scoot through. And the the guard that came up to get the block actually didn't do a very good job of getting him, but he got because of 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 the slow read, he only had to get a piece of him that was enough to get Izzy uh, up the shoot and into the end zone.
0: Yeah, but I think a big thing that I'm gonna I'll make with this, and then the guy we're gonna talk about on the next one is the tape, right? How much tape now Keller, McDonald's, Lawson all have, Re- regardless whether they move Lawson or regardless if these guys are playing or different positions, how much that's going to help them. Not only this season, because all the red shirts are burned for them. Or, you know, there's no need to, but for next season and those off season film studies and seeing you hesitated right here. Wow. Well, I saw this. Remember your key. What's your key in this case? Because if, yep. to your point with Keller, if he follows his key, again, it's still probably a gain. It's not the massive gains. And I think as me and you looked at all of these, and there's two more we're going to talk about, every single one of these could have been solid gains, not backbreaking gains for the Hokies. And when there's a game that's essentially a two score game, that's what this is, stopping a handful of these is a flip and a potential win for the Hokies. All right, let's talk about the next one. Um it unfortunately came right after the Caleb Smith fumble where Hokies have momentum. Um what did we see on this one where Chamar it was it, you could tell for Chamari Connor was frustrated with that late hit at the end to get an extra fifteen for him.
1: Yeah, um I think you know they had kind of you know turned things around had rallied a little bit and had a, a good run of where they were you know, fairly solid and fairly sure in the uh in their run fits and in the on the defense as a whole. And you get the sudden change and then you get a 39 yard run right after that sudden change. And this is just a power O. Um there was some uh, there's some decent fits, but McDonald loses the edge. Um he kind of gets squared up by the fullback and Armani gets caught looking inside and we lose containment and then you tack on 15 yards for the late hit.
0: And, again, it was one of those – it got them deep. And that's why every play we've discussed here tonight has either been a touchdown run or it's been a flipping of the fields. They're immediately in field goal range. Even the the 28-yard the we talk about with Panay, they're out of field goal range, but if you hold them, they're going to punch you deep, likely. You're, you're not going to have great starting field position. So, like, everything was crippling. It wasn't like, well, here's a 28-yard run from the five. You still have some things to work with. Yep. All right, well, let's talk about the last one, the this, big this one. The ba- this is the this backbreaker. Was, this is the this, one that killed. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, this is the 80-yard touchdown run. Uh, it's another power. Um, this was uh, – not, not really a great snap by any of the linebackers except for Jenkins, but the biggest problem is that no one is kind of following the pulling guard here, um, and that allows him to tee off on Connor and instead of uh, – You know th- that, that block is designed to, to, to go for a linebacker. He's not supposed to be getting to that next, next level and, and, <laughs> and level. taking out our last line of defense there. And, you know, they did a lot in the second half with kind of having those two tight ends and then shifting them across the formation before the snap. And I think that kind of gave us a little bit of, a, of, of trouble with the adjustments. I mean, in this case, you'd like to have seen McDonald. Uh, there was a – when when the guard pulled, there was a down block. Uh, you would have liked to have seen McDonald kind of shoot underneath the um, where the pulling guard is coming across uh, behind that down block and try to make that play in the backfield because he's the unblocked man in this case. Um, so I mean that would have been what you like to see. He was a little bit late, kind of kind of reading that. Uh, he took about three steps uh, towards the line of scrimmage and away from the play before he started redirecting towards where that play was going. You'd like to have seen him, you know that one that one step and then say okay that's a down block okay that's a pulling guard and then he he knows what to do from there so he's a little bit slow on that
0: so again there kind of is the breakdown of each play you get a chance to go back listen to this segment um we are trying to work to where we can show the video on the screen there's a lot to go through with this because there's obviously there's rights and stuff like that um but hopefully in the future we can have these breakdowns like this. Obviously a little easier in the off season because we get to plan an episode two and three weeks ahead. Brian can find film out there that's already being distributed that <laughs> the copyright can't come after us. All right, well, let's keep talking a little bit more. Let's talk about the defensive line. I mean, obviously we heard a lot of things there with some guys making errors. Big thing on the defensive line on Saturday was, was garbage being out. It doesn't even matter him being he is the best defensive lineman and him being out hurts regardless.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's all, he's a big, he's a big case here for us. He's the veteran in that room. Um, Having him out kind of takes both our, our top end talent off, uh, but also kind of a veteran leadership in that, in that group across that line. So it's, it's kind of a double whammy in that case.
0: Yeah. Now, the defensive line, not all bad. I mean, they did get five and a half tackles for loss. We had 11 total, which is just – to think 11 tackles for loss and you still got 300 yards ran on you is just insane to think that. Um, And, you know, guys made plays. Don't get us wrong. There were some errors, but guys were making plays. But I'm going to tell you, Josh Fuga stood out. There were times on even a couple of those big runs where he was doing his job in collapsing – Collapsing the defense of the offensive line of Pitt, and yep. he, of all the guys, I think he, in my eyes, he's taking bigger strides in this system than anyone thus far. And it's maybe because he's a little bit younger, um, and not as not been here as long. What about you, Brian?
1: I mean, I think it's that, I think it's also that he's a little bit more in terms of the prototypical size of, of, of what they're looking for. I think he's a little bit more in that mold mm-hmm. and, you know, he's, I think he's, he's cleaned up a little bit. So I think he's you're seeing him have a little bit more motor this year than we have seen in the past. And I think that's, that's helping him out a lot. He's, uh, I mean, he, he's doing a good job of trusting his technique and then using his physicality to make the plays there. Um, Let's talk about Nelson, too, because I think he had a a few rough plays in this game, but he also um, showed that he could hold up um, at that defensive end position for a little bit extra extra time here because he got a whole lot more snaps in that game than he would have normally. Yes. So, you know, you like what you see. You need to clean up a few things, but there's something to kind of build on there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's all the building. It's all seen, especially every time you see a young guy make a good play. Like with the Nelson, as he was coming in pursuit and he got to Izzy, yes, he, the, the tackle was broken, but the reality is, you go back, Brian, he had the tackle broken, but reality is as long as he stood there, which was about a two-second count, there should have been two to three other Hokies finishing that tackle off with him. Yeah. And that, that again – it's where we see, well, the tackle broke. He made a mistake in reality. No, he did everything right. His job's to get there. He's also a second year player. Can he get stronger where maybe next year, year after, he makes that play and he doesn't need help? He gets the well, guy it's, kind, it's kind
1: of like what, what Dwight Vick says a lot. You know, they're still learning how to make those winning plays. True. Um, and I, I kind of think that that's part of it right there um you know that play where where Nelson is there and then he's not you know that that's that's some of those winning plays that that Dwight talks about uh, and a lot of what I've, I've talked about those other you know big plays were were kind of in that same vein um, guys not trusting their technique guys trying to you know panicking and then trying to be a hero because they're, they they feel like they're not where they need to be
0: yeah. All right, let's flip. Obviously, in the secondary, um, younger guys had to step up Saturday. Dorian Strong out again. Um, And even though he's listed at the top of the depth chart, I mean, I'm I'm really wondering if they're just putting him there just for show and if he's going to be out long. Because you would think with a hand injury, um, and this is coming – I'm a Niners fan. Jimmy Ward broke his hand on the opening kickoff versus Carolina. Literally, he had his surgery yesterday. They're fitting him for his cast on Saturday. They don't anticipate him playing this week because just no practice, but they anticipate him playing next week versus the Chiefs. I'm wondering if it's a little more with Dorian or if it's one of those things where is he physically spent this season, he's only played four games, and it's like, listen, some of the best stuff you do is with your hands. He has a good press. He uses his hands very wisely. Is it one of those things where if we put you back on the field and you can't use your hand, does it take some of your best aspects out?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the big question mark at this point. We don't know exactly what that injury entails. So until we do, it's ha- kind of hard to, to speculate, you know, why it's keeping him out for an extended period of time. And, you know, we had, you know, DJ Harvey was out as well. So we had, um, kind of the youth movement, um, out there. We had Delaney, um, Hughes was Johnson, out there.
0: Hughes. Yeah. Strowman. Um, Strowman uh, playing both because of the, the lack of depth. I heard Price say it today. He played field and boundary safety, which means Chamari was coming up. So Strowman playing a spot he's not accustomed to because of again the depth issues, something we've heard a long time. But of those guys you mentioned, I mean, is it still is, is Mans I think Mansord Delaney has shown.
1: Yeah, he's shown out well. Uh, it looked like you know Cam Johnson had some good, good snaps in there as well. So, um, you know, we're seeing some of the depth get created now with, with some of these young guys combined with uh, with the veterans on the team. And that's only going to be, you know, good going forward, but also good, obviously, uh, heading into next season as well when, you know, a lot of these guys are going to be counted on for a much larger role on the defense.
0: Absolutely. All right. All right. Let's flip it. Let's flip it to the offensive side of the ball. And Brian, I mean, you, you this is my feeling. You can tell me how you feel. I think this was the best game for this offense, considering the quality of defense we played, knowing Narduzzi's pedigree. Pitt was coming in as a top thirty total defense going into the game. And we did we have some three and outs and where we looked a little inefficient? Yeah. But did we have some good drives? In some big plays
1: yeah yeah I mean there, this was as, as good of a mm-hmm. offensive output as we've seen all season um this wasn't like Boston College where we got a lot of short fields uh early in the game and then we kind of rested on a, a big lead uh, as a result of that you know we had to earn a lot of these yards um, other than the 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 blocked uh punt for a touchdown you know, we were driving the field on this team uh, to get those points. So that's a difference. And, you know, the play calls, I think were, I haven't had a big problem with the play calls this year, but I feel like there was a better, slightly better flow this week. Um, Wondering if Brad Glenn being in the box there uh, with Tyler Bowen um, was kind of a a benefit for him um, seeing some things a little differently um, and, and helping with that flow. But I mean, honestly, the biggest one is getting Mal- Malachi Thomas back in this Oh, offense. my gosh,
0: yes. I mean, you take a look at Malachi and just his stats. I mean, they did give him a give him a fair amount of run. I mean, 15 carries, 84 yards. He went over five and a half a carry. He had a touchdown. He broke a big 29-yard run. He broke some other ones. And, I mean, just kind of looking you, – you talked about his vision. And what we saw a couple times—that vision—he saw the hole, he went right, and in some of them weren't big gains. They were like three and four yards, but now it's second and six. Okay, do we want to run the ball again? Do we want to take a? Sh- we're at a we're at a play call level where we can do anything we want. The goal is to gain positive yards, but if you know if the safety peaks up or something, right? Let's take a shot. And the other part about him. And, and it's just no, you notice the vision when he hits a hole, his legs don't stop. He, his legs do not stop. Right. Yep. And that's awesome to see.
1: Yeah. Um, he, he's, you know, I said it a little bit last week. When we were talking about it. He's stealing some extra yards, right? Yeah. Um, you know, he, he's the guy that turns that three yarder into a six yarder that five yarder into an eight yarder. Um, and he did that all game. and, you know, his vision immediately has helped this this offense. And the offensive line looked better. I don't know if they were more confident, um, you know, having Malachi behind them. Um, but, you know, the holes were there earlier, and, and he found them and hit them and, and got some positive yards out them. Uh, most of the time he carried the ball. You know, there wasn't – you know, we didn't really have the negative plays that we've been accustomed to. We didn't really have as many of those – you know, zero and one yarders that we've been accustomed to, there was some solid first down games. But now we weren't out there, you know, getting chunk plays a lot. No. You know, there were some, but we weren't getting consistent chunk plays, but we were getting enough where we could effectively run the rest of our offense, except for that one little period in the in the third quarter there.
0: 100%. Now, with having him come back, obviously Keyshawn King's role goes down. He only had five carries um, with a couple receptions, but he broke the big one. We 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 body-blowed, body-blowed, body-blowed. We got down the field to the 19, and they ran that little play to him on the inside, and that lane opened up, and whoop, 19 yards yeah. touchdown. I, I, I think maybe it's game flow. We didn't see him as much. We did see – even Grant Wells benefited. He had some good draws and some good read options where he, he ran.
1: Because the run was effective. Ooh. When, when there's a threat, when when, there, when 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 you're threatening with both areas there, then both areas can be more effective. If you're not ever running your quarterback, then the read, I mean, no, no one's keying on the quarterback. We ran the quarterback enough where he was an effective key, and our running back was effective enough where when our quarterback kept it, there was some room to maneuver.
0: So very nice on that side of the ball. Now, Brian, offensive line had a little new blood. We saw Brody yep. Meadows get some run. and
1: Brody Meadows got some run, and then we saw a lot more of, uh, of Braylon Moore this week as well.
0: And let's talk about that play we looked at, and it showed you why he has been getting hyped and why very soon I think he's the starter. The nine-yard touchdown run from Malachi Thomas – do, do your thing, man, because that was. <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, Braylon completely collapsed his side of the, uh, of the
0: line of scrimmage. Collapsed. Yes. Just, it, to up to a point where as we're watching it, Brian, I'm like, man, that's good. He's wiping out. And Brian's like, Silas w- laid his block. He missed it. But the damn gap was so big where Braylon had cleared. It was like Malachi still had room to get right up in there. Yep. That that was the big thing.
1: It looked like Silas was trying to kind of step in. I I think he was expecting Gallo to kind of double team with him, and he just kind of lost his leverage in that block before Gallo got there. And, but it did, I mean, you know, it didn't matter because, like I said, Braylon had collapsed the the D tackle so much, there was just a huge hole on that side of the offense.
0: So we're seeing those young guys, and again, when, when, it, 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 it's like is this weird hand-in-hand hand. Malachi comes back. The younger guys get run. And don't get us wrong, there was a good run play Jesse Hansen made a good play on. One of those good, as you said, what is it, a wrap, Brian, where he wraps – or no, more wrapped. He got upfield wrapped. And I think that was Malachi's biggest run was when they did that. But, yeah. again, it's it's little steps. It's things that we heard with Toch Rudolph last week talk about. All right, let's now talk about Grant Wells because I think if anyone from the better running game, he benefited the most. I think his best game to date, 25 for 47, 277 yards, one touch, one pick. The pick was a Hail Mary at the end of a half. Watch that out. And really probably only two or three balls thrown with risk. Two of them I noticed is when we were down sixteen, trying to push the ball.
1: Yep. I, it,
0: not many. Like maybe a couple bad passes here and there, but not not. I, I don't know the words I'm trying to look for here. Not those. What the hell? Why are you passing that?
1: Yeah, I mean he tried to force a post into into cover two. Um, that was really his worst. His worst throw. Everything else was pretty, you know, pretty decent or at least a calculated risk. Um, definitely his best game to date got got through progressions a lot more consistently. Um, and I think that's, as you said, it's a, it's a product of a more efficient running game. This is, this is what Grant Wells can be when he doesn't feel like he has to do everything when he's not responsible for, you know, 75, 80% of the offensive production, um, and that's going to be a good thing going forward because you know, like I said, we—that's probably the best defensive front we're going to see the rest of the season. Maybe <laughs> NC State. NC um, State.
0: They're probably right there with them. NC State better linebacker core though. Yeah, that's 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 kind of a difference. Not that Pitt's a shit linebacker core. They're a solid group. NC State's elite at the linebacker. I think that's the scary part. You mentioned the progressions, Brian. Do you know how many passes um, running backs got of those twenty-five completions? How many? Eight. Okay. Okay. A couple were set. Were set plays. I think like a couple of them were like Keyshawn and Chance motioning out of the backfield. That was the first read. But you talk about getting through progressions. If he's getting there, and we're getting checkdowns, we're not forcing it. We're gaining. And I mean the passes didn't amount to a lot. They only amounted to eight, you know, eight receptions for 23 yards, but 2 yards is better than a sack and yep. it's better than throwing a pick into a bad situation, right? Yep.
1: Again, we we, we got to start with the little things. If we if we can get the little things done consistently well, then we can kind of move on to some of the bigger things.
0: Yep. Um, real quick wide receiver room. Um, we've already mentioned what happened with Caleb. We're not talking about that play again. Caleb Smith, nine receptions, 152. He was the ACC wide receiver of the week. Got a little banged again. I mean, if you want to talk about toughness and as we will make a joke here, grit, I think Caleb Smith has that because coach said today, Caleb was good to go this weekend. Um, and he's showing out and i'm trying to think does he have a year of eligibility left
1: um i think so i could Red. be wrong
0: shirt sure. see the whole the whole covid shit just yeah was- i still don't know how they're
1: classifying some folks because at first i thought they were going to like just retread the year that they were on as the covid year but a lot of times they just kind of advance the year and then they're giving
0: them a bonus year so, in this case, Caleb's first year was 19. So, if they count the COVID year, he, would, he could come back next year, which I kind of hope he does come back next year. Um, let's talk about your boy again, Brian.
1: Daquan Wright uh, had himself another day, man. Uh, I, I, I put on the timeline on Twitter, man, he is a walking, talking first down.
0: It is that way. If
1: you need a first down, look for that man.
0: Look for that man, which slowly but surely he's going to start drawing more attention, more attention, and you're going to have Smith getting open. You're going to have some run lanes there. Um, I do want to say this. One of the best passes of the game was that 43-yard bomb to Dwayne Lofton. And I thought somebody, I think Tally put up, was this a good throw or a great throw or a great catch? And I think Dwight went up there and said, great catch, really good throw. Because they both were because – Grant was on the opposite side of the field, right? He was not – he was on the opposite hash when he chucked that ball into the yep. end goal. And go ahead. I was just
1: going to say, I mean, if you're talking about – it, it, it was a, it's a great throw. It was. You had to have a strong arm to get it there. Um, it wasn't a perfect throw. It, yeah. You know, you'd like to see him place it probably a little bit more out in front. But from where he was, where he was throwing it, kind of where he was coming off, it wasn't his primary read. He saw it there. He got it
0: there. Um, I'll take it all day. And I will, too. And give give Lofton credit for coming back to the ball and making the play on the ball. We saw that burn us numerous times already this year. It finally burned someone else. All right, Brian, you kind of caused some controversy Saturday after the game with your tweet. Me?
1: No way. You.
0: How dare you say that Pry has got to get better at balancing game management and defense? How dare you say that? How dare you critique him?
1: <laughs> no, I got it from both sides. I I, I was told oh, yeah. that, that, that that I wasn't critiquing Pry enough, and then I, I was told that how dare I say that he, he wasn't calling a good defense. Um <laughs> which is what I, what I was saying at all. What I was saying is that There were moments in the game where because of game management, because of the little things that it takes to be a head coach that can, you know, cost your team, you know, there were some moments where we probably left some points on the field. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that I blame probably like he's, he's still getting accustomed to being a head coach. And he's getting accustomed to being a head coach while also calling defensive plays and, and being more in tune with what's going on with the defense than he is with the whole game. So you got to kind of stay in that mindset and understand, all right, well, I'm calling the defense, but once I'm not calling the defense, I've got to make sure that everything um, that I need to handle from a time management clock management um, making sure that and it wasn't just, you know, us with the ball. It was also, okay, well, you know, if they get the ball back, how are, how are we handling this? Are we yeah. calling timeout here? You know, it's, it's these little situational things that I think when you're caught up in the moment of calling the defense, that sometimes it's hard to keep, keep an eye on those other things. Um, whether that means we need, you know, somebody else that kind of is, is funneling him more of that information more consistently. Um, so he's more aware or what, but, um, and I'm not saying take his duties away. Now I'm saying I need to see a little bit more progress on that front to, to say that I wouldn't like to see him be a, be a head coach without the, the calling duties and and see what Marv has.
0: Yeah. Now you did suggest passing it off, but that seems that that's not happening this year. I listened to the presser about an hour and a half ago. And basically, he said that's not our plan this year. Our plan this year is, I'm calling it. Chris is learning. Chris is basically Chris is going through the motions of what a defensive coordinator does every week. The only thing he's not doing is calling the games on Saturdays. He's he's make, he's making the on-field coaching essentially what we do, what they do. So again, they sound like they're sticking to that. Now it it, it did sound like. Pry has basically said into said to his mind, "When this season ends, I'm done. I'm not yeah. calling anymore. I'm going to turn it over to Chris because I think that's something where, as a coach, he knows he has to continuously evaluate his staff, and he needs to know, all right, if I give Chris two, four years of calling these plays, is he still our guy year four? Yeah. That's kind of the um, that's kind of the pieces that just the way he was mentioning that's kind of the feel that I'm getting from him."
1: Yeah, and I get that to a point. I appreciate that, you know, he's sticking to the plan on that front. I wasn't necessarily saying I'd like to, you know, that has to happen for me to be happy. I was more saying I want to see some progress on him as a game manager to feel comfortable with him having the dual role.
0: Well, that's where you hope an analyst, he has an analyst working on that, like how much time you spend there. And the question is: Is it over the next six games? Instead of him on the grease boards or potentially in those conversations, that's strictly Chris. And then as they get back onto the defensive side of the ball, Chris in his ear: "Here's how we're updating. Here's what we. Here's what we've been discussing." Then he makes the decisions of what plays to call.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. Let's go with some other uh, college football uh, news and notes. One comes from the professional world, but you'll understand in a minute. Um, Brian Harson got fired. I feel like this is like eight months too late. Cause that those boosters wanted him gone last February. And I mean yeah. they were they were trying all sorts of shit to get him fired.
1: Yeah. I mean they were they were doing everything they could to get him out last year. Um he would have had to damn near win the SEC this year for them to to have made it through the year. Uh, and the fact that they obviously have not been the team that you want them to be um, just made this a lot easier for, for them.
0: Yeah. But he wasn't um, their guy to begin with. He was no. a because they screwed the pooch. And down there, there is no real AD, and the boosters have all the control. But the issue with boosters, they have money, which is great. What most time they don't have are clear visions. <laughs> I want to win. Well, motherfucker, everybody wants to win. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah. you know, it's one of those things where, like, with an AD, you can kind of filter a vision through one channel. A yep. collective team. When you've got, you know, a hundred plus, you know, multi-million dollar boosters calling the shots. That's a that's a lot of voices in the room.
0: It is. It very much is. All right. Another guy got fired from the professional ranks, but I think anybody that follows football expects him to be in college or perhaps next year, maybe the year after. And that's Matt Rule gets fired from the Panthers after the 49ers. Kick him around. I win some beer from a buddy at work. I mean, it's all good thing. <laughs> but you sit here and look at the landscape of college football right now and Nebraska being open, Georgia Tech being open, um, Auburn being open, you know, Programs and big conferences that do have some legacy. I think he's going to land there. Even though he legitimately, I don't think it's an NFL contract like a collegiate contract. He's literally getting $800,000 for the next like 48 months, which is just insane. (laughs) So does he really want to coach? Because if he does so, you ask me straight up right now, Nebraska probably would be the plate. Based on what he did at Baylor, what he did at Temple, how he developed and built that culture, I, I think that's where he lands.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't shock me at all for sure. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of there's gonna be a lot of jobs open, but that feels like the most natural
0: uh, fit at this point. All right, we got one more thing, Brian. You put this in, so I'll, I'll let you uh, lead it because you gotta you got your mind here.
1: Yeah, uh, we're just gonna uh, throw a big uh rest in peace out to Angela Lansbury. Uh absolute legend. Uh stage and screen and small small screen as well.
0: Small screen, big screen, bedsticks and brooms or, or bed knobs and broomsticks, man. As a kid watching that movie for the first time. I mean Yeah, I mean I, I'm still a
1: uh you know, I will throw on a an episode of Murder She Wrote from time to time. Um one of the one of those shows you used to watch with like your grandparents back in yeah. the day, and now yeah. now it's like, all right, I'm gonna throw it on. It's it's still a good
0: time. It, it holds up a lot better than you think it would too. Oh, so. Okay, well I always used to think about that. It Used to come on what CBS Sundays at like eight. So if you, I can still remember it's kind of like the four twenty. It would be the the four twenty five game, then sixty minutes, and then Murder She Wrote. Like my my grandparents wouldn't change the channel if we went over there on Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Yeah, there there was a
1: there was a time I think like with season five or something, they did like a uh Murder She Wrote Magnum PI crossover where they did one episode where she guest starred in oh character God. and then they did a continuation of that story where he was on her show. So it was it was kind of a pretty pretty cool crossover for the network back in the day.
0: So rest in peace to Angela Andrew, Andrew, any child of the eighties that did not have a feeling for that show. You know, you, you might have lost a lot of things. Yep. All right, Brian, we got one more piece to hit here. Um earlier this week we did lose a commit. Uh my son Tink Kelly, um, down in Daniels County, South Carolina. Athlete, cornerback wideout, decommitted. Um, he decommits about eight hours later. I am blessed to receive an offer from Clemson. Yep. Are we shocked? Not shocked. Um
1: so, that was one that we were we were you,
0: you were know. hyped about like you knew yeah. he was on
1: radar yeah and we knew we knew he was under the radar at the same time it's like you understand it too i mean that's that's a, that's the in state school for him um uh, it's a that's,
0: who it's was it a that, team. somebody said to us this week that's like the blacksburg high of clemson it's like literally right there like yeah. you know, yeah. like, like so it sucks i mean but those are the things that are going to happen. I'm interested to see if anything picks up in the next few days. Here, do we throw any additional offers out? Are there players that, again, we again we've been holding on, or players we potential have not committable offers to that we now make it committable? Yeah. Um, also, this week, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm shocked by this, Jonathan Penix is going to announce this week down in Appomattox. And I'm sort of shocked his top ten, he did not have us in there.
1: Yeah, that was interesting. Um, kind of disappointed. We'll, we'll see what that looks like um, at the end of the run, but, yeah. I mean. I was shocked by it as well.
0: Yeah, when I saw it, I was just kind of shocked of, um, like, you know, we had we, we've already got one kid from Appomattox in there, and you know, I don't know. It, it stinks because, especially after we knew how hard we hit the state and where he ranks, um, you yeah, know, that just sucks. Okay, gonna, right, let me let me do this. Move all right, on. we are going to get. Yeah, we're going to move on. Move on. Close the book. We closed the book on last week in a decommit, and then a kid that didn't put us in his top ten in state. So book we'll closed. All right. Before we get into Know the Enemy, looking at Miami, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners.
1: If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Now back to the good part. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
0: All right, Brian, let's flip it here. Know the enemy, Miami, and let's start with the quarterback. Because it's been a roller coaster ride for Tyler Van Dyke, six four two twenty four from Glastonbury, Connecticut, a four star prospect when he came out in two thousand and twenty, um, composite, and then you know started for them last year, had a great season, um, and then he got benched this year. So, you know, he he came back last week, and it looks like maybe he's the starter. Um, cause he tore up, you know, they lost at UNC, but he went for almost 500 yards, completed over 70%, three touchdowns, one pick, um, of what you looked at this year is anything sort of, why do you think they benched him? I'm, I'm confused by this. Um,
1: you know, to me, it looks like just being somewhat ineffective, um, with his footwork. Um, leading to some, some of the inaccuracy that he was having in the game. Okay. Um, I mean, he's been very effective in the short and intermediate passing game on the whole uh, in his career. Um, he's got a strong arm. He's got the ability to deliver the ball on the run and, and off platform. Um, but he's not really elite in the arm talent category. Uh, he does lose some velocity when he's going downfield. And, um, but you know another part of his game is that athleticism so he will be used on design runs he will use his legs to extend plays and um sometimes look downfield to throw it sometimes look to to run and just grab that first down um but he, he does still stare down his primary target from time to time um he'll bail on good pockets um when he's consistently pressured so if we can get some pressure on him we might get him to kind of bail on something that's there and and maybe get a tackle for loss or a sack or something like that. And uh, like I said, the big thing is that his footwork, if we can keep him moving in the pocket, that's the better for us.
0: How much do you think this goes from he was running, you know, Rett's RPO slash Air last year, where is a little bit more, to me, it's a little bit more of a pro style. It's still multiple, but a little bit more pro concepts. Do you think that was affecting him and where they decide to bench him and say, get yourself right? And then he comes back and obviously has his next game.
1: Uh, could be that. Sometimes it's just clear your head, make sure that, you know, you kind of see somebody else do it. And um, sometimes that helps you process a little bit better. Um, so it might be some of that. It might just be, hey, um, you've given us all we know You can, we can get out of you this game. Go ahead and take this one off. We'll finish it out.
0: We'll, we'll start again next week. All right. Awesome. All right, so taking a look here, obviously his biggest target and legitimately his biggest target and probably his most reliable target is Will Mallory, the 6'5", 245-pound, tight end Mallory out of Jacksonville, Florida, Providence High School, composite four-star when he came out. Um, I mean, he looks like prototypical when they used to be tight end you with how many years they would run a first or second round tight end coming out of that place.
1: Yeah. I mean, I mean, this is a a complete tight end here. Um, Great hands runs, good routes. Um, He's definitely their primary stick mover and safety valve. Um, Use him a lot on drags and crossers, quick outs, stick routes, um, things like that. But he's, he's also really deceptively good after the catch. Um, So when he catches the ball, he can still make some things happen after the catch. And they will occasionally send him deep up the seam as well. So, if they're going to take a shot with him, it's going to
0: be up the seam. And so far this year, I mean, he's, he's on pace to easily outdo his um, career high last year. Last year, 30 receptions, 347 yards, four touchdowns. This year, already at 20 receptions, 242 yards, no touchdowns. Um, And, again, I wonder if that's a product of the new system. Had a monster game, monster game against UNC. Eight receptions, 115 yards. So, unfortunately, he's sort of rounding into form right as we go play them. Um, Do you see him a lot? Does he play inline any, or is he always going to kind of be joker wingback?
1: Uh, He's a little bit of everything. Um, He's probably – the blocking is probably his weakest area, but it's not at all a weakness. It's just um yeah. Yeah, he doesn't excel at it the way he does the other areas of his game.
0: Got it. All right. Well, let's take a look next at kind of their lead running back, and that's going to be Henry Parrish, 5'10", 190, Goulds, Florida. Originally, a commit to Ole Miss came over in the portal – to the Hurricanes here in 2022, uh, you know, a, a consensus four-star guy, four-star 93, um, top 170 player, top 25 in Florida, top 15 running back. So he obviously has the accolades, had the skill, had a ton of offers, um, and obviously chose Ole Miss to begin with. Um. Had some run last year, you know, had over 500 yards and a few touchdowns. What's the tape showing this year for him kind of being the lead back for the Hurricanes?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a running back that has really good patience at the point of attack, um, especially on those zone calls. They, they, they'll, they'll be running a lot of zones. So uh, has a lot of patience um, to kind of wait for the blocks to, to, to get there. Uh, and, and make his cut. He finishes runs hard, um, but this is not the home run second and third level threat that we saw with, uh, with Izzy Abanacanda last week. Um, so yes, thank you. Um, yeah. He's still got some ability at the second level, but he's definitely more of a pick his way through at the, at the point of attack and, and get the yards that are there. Um, he is more effective at catching the ball out of the backfield than we've seen recently. And he has real good vision uh, when he's out there outside the hashes in space. Uh, and they will split him out wide and use him as a wide receiver as well. So he has that in his wheelhouse. Um, but he can be disruptive um, with good penetration. So if we can get some of the same penetration we saw last week, um, if we can put that effort together this week, I think
0: we'll be all right yeah you mentioned about that i mean he's got 13 receptions 101 yards already this year so they are using him a ton out of the backfield and on the ground i mean he's averaging right at five four eight to carry 378 yards four touchdowns um but his last two games he's kind of fell off a little bit um combined versus middle Tennessee and UNc 25 carries for only 76 yards. So he's kind of come back to earth after a, a solid game against A&M and obviously really tearing up the uh, early season sort of lesser opponents. Um, so I'm interested to see if they'll stick with him um, because behind him, no one's really grabbed the reins per se. Yeah. Um, in the Running back room, you know, you got Thaddeus Franklin and Jalen Knighton, you know, They're they're averaging under four and a half a carry. Uh, Thaddeus Franklin does have five touchdowns. So he's kind of maybe made his role as the goal line short yardage back there. So it's kind of interesting to see what they'll do. Now let's flip over to the wide receiver room next, Brian. And we want to look at Michael Redding, the third freshman from Pensacola, Florida, 6'2", 202 pounds, four-star, uh, on 247 sports um a ton of offers all over the place a top one top 200 player another top 30 player in florida you know you get a top 30 player in florida it's usually going to be really good um what are you seeing from him as far as it goes yeah
1: i mean he's a great route runner um really good uh after the catch ability um, he understands how to find and settle into those soft spots in zone coverage. Um, and he's kind of the the outside of the stick, uh, outside of the hash stick mover. Um, and he's their primary intermediate route target. Um, but he is a below average blocker. So if they try to, uh, you know, use him in the run game as a blocker, he doesn't hold up very well. Um, and he's not a legitimate deep threat. Just his skill set combined with, uh, Van Dyke's uh, inability to, to kind of push it downfield with good velocity uh, doesn't really match up well. So they don't take a ton of shots downfield.
0: All right. And, and so far this year, I mean, solid stats, you know, not blowing the world away with, you know, 14 receptions, 183 yards, only one touchdown. And you talk about that intermediate along of only 20, um, which is really interesting to see. And just kind of looking at them in general, You know, looking at their wide receiver room, only one guy has a catch above 50 yards, which may be something we weren't expecting to see there. Um, And that was um, Xavier Restrepo. So, you know, is it just the offense? Is it the guys aren't talented? Do they not have the speed? It's interesting to see that. Um, And it might go back to what they've been recruiting towards for the last couple years before – you know, they hired. Um Josh Gaddis. Well, Gaddis, I'm thinking about the head coach and it's just completely blocked Christobal. my mind. Cristobal. Jeezy Lord. <laughs> um because when you go from that sort of air aid concept to more pro style, maybe you don't have the field stretchers quite yet. Um now let's talk about it. You just mentioned his name. We 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 all know about Josh Gaddis successful at Alabama successful last year Michigan has made his way down to the Hurricanes. sort of kind of rough out of the gate um but what do you see from his scheme
1: I mean it's a hybrid pro style they have some like west coast and spread elements uh kind of mixed in there Uh, a lot of pro formations and schemes with more up tempo some of that airy kind of mindset still still a part of this offense but um you know, it's, it's ran with, with more traditional formations and schemes. Um, but it's still a kind of get the ball out of your quick, uh, get, get the ball out of your hands quick type of offense um, when they're throwing the football, they like to move the pocket a lot to take advantage of Tyler Van Dyke's abilities to throw in the run. Um, that's mixed in with more pro style elements that blend gap and run schemes. Uh, and they use a variety of formations and motions to create advantages um, in that run scheme. But as I said already, they don't take a lot of shots, uh, and they are not a very good team when they get in the red zone. They don't yeah. they don't put the ball in the end zone
0: very often. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little later. Um, let's also talk about this real quick. They started the season by hanging Sony on with Cookman. Since that point in time, they have scored only 94 points. They are averaging right at 23 a game, and when you look at their statistical data, the data in general is always going to show you. Well, now they're averaging over 30. Reality is, since week one, they're averaging 23. So it it sort of it, it puts me on that alert of, you know, don't always trust the numbers. Break the numbers down a little bit. Take certain things out. And usually you get more of the real story of what's going on with the team. All right. Well, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball, led by yep. Kevin Steele, longtime defensive coordinator. And let's talk about the inside linebacker, Corey Flagg, Jr., 5'11", 230 pounds, out of Houston, Texas, in North Shore High School, class of 2020. Um, a kind of non-traditional uh, hurricane here. He was a low three-star, an 83-by-247 standards, and, you know, seems like he's doing pretty good for himself thus far.
1: Yeah, and, and the big thing is that he's a sure tackler and really good in pursuit, and that kind of makes – that that's the kind of player you that gets, you, gets on the field pretty quickly, um, you know, regardless of their kind of top-end talent there. Um, he does a good job of taking on the pulling linemen, attacking the gap when he reads run. He doesn't really get confused very often by window dressing or, or, or misdirection. Uh, they, they will use him as a blitzer uh, fairly regularly, um, but he can struggle when he uh, ends up responsible for, for the edge. Um, so that may be an opportunity where we can take advantage there, but he's a solid player across the board.
0: I mean, is he, is he the leader of the defense? Is, does he make the calls from what you could see?
1: Yeah, he he is one of the players that makes the call there. They kind of rotate um, another, I think, redshirt uh, senior or super senior. Uh, I forget his name right off the bat, but those are the two
0: primary um, inside backers that they're using. All right, and so far this year, I mean, you know, great, you know, great stat line. You know, thirty tackles, seven and a half of those are tackles for loss. He's got one and a half sacks. Um, no interceptions no real pass deflection so like you kind of mentioned there brian for a couple minutes is he's a, he's attacking a certain area of the field where he's not out there in coverage
1: yeah a lot a lot of run responsibilities a lot of going sideline to sideline in the run game um he's mostly kind of sitting in in some soft zones uh when he's in coverage he's not running man-to-man with a lot of guys Awesome.
0: Well, let's flip and Let's take a look at one of the guys on the back end here, and that's um Cameron Kinchins. Sophomore, 5'11", 202 out of Miami, Florida, out of Northwestern High School. Composite four-star when we came out. Was a top 350 player, top 25 safety. Um, and, you know, so far this year, solid numbers, just 10 tackles, but he's really been a kind of I wouldn't say, I don't know if you call him a ball hawk or just Johnny on the spot. He has three interceptions and a fumble recovery. So he is essentially taking care of four turnovers by himself. Yep. Is the tape saying that he's a hawk or is he just in the right spots?
1: A little bit of both. I mean, he is their primary coverage safety. Um, He's not asked to be a force player very regularly, but he does a decent job when they ask him to um occasionally you'll see him in the box but usually he's kind of the deep middle safety or matched up in man coverage um they will occasionally use him as a blitzer uh, but that's not his strong suit he sometimes gets kind of eat up if if the block's there unless he's running free um but he does like to hit um but he will occasionally miss tackles from time to time so that might be an opportunity where if we can kind of shake that first initial hit uh, we might have some opportunity to break some long some long gains there in the secondary.
0: So when you see those missed tackles, is it, is it bad technique playing recklessly?
1: Kind of coming in too hot usually. Okay. Not, not being in control, not breaking down, not forming up.
0: Any man responsibility or do they try to keep him back in the middle? Like you said,
1: it's a a mix. He's either playing deep middle third um, or he's in man coverage.
0: Okay. So
1: they, they mix it up a little bit.
0: All right. Makes sense with steel with some of the stuff he does. As we'll talk about in a few minutes here. All right, let's go to the defensive line and let's talk about Jafari Harvey. Six foot four, two hundred fifty-two pounds, from Port St. Lucie, Florida, out of Vero Beach High School. Four-star weak side defensive end when he came out in twenty nineteen. He was a top one hundred and sixty player nationally. He was a top ten weak side defensive end. He was a top twenty player in Florida. And you look at his sort of, you know, his offer list, Miami, Mississippi State, NC State, you know, Florida State, Kentucky. To be a highly ranked guy, he's missing quite a few names there, but it's still a good list. He's got Georgia on here, but you, usually you see a guy in that ninety three, ninety four, you see a lot more offers. What's the tape saying on him? That is there, was it size maybe coming out maybe people were worried about or something else?
1: Yeah, it looks like size. He had all of those, like, quality second-tier offers, um, just none of the, you know, only, only really one one or two of the first tiers. Yeah. Um, but he is their primary edge rusher, a mm-hmm. um, little undersized. Uh, they often have him in a two-point stance, but he will put his hand in the dirt. Um, he's not as good against the run as he is uh, when he's rushing the passer. He can get washed out of plays um, when kicked by the kicked out by the tight end or pulling guard, so he does get blocked easily sometimes in those more gap schemes, which we can hopefully take advantage of. Um, and he does better when he can just shoot a gap, something where he can go upfield use his athleticism and his, his strength to his advantage.
0: Yeah. And for Harvey, you know, the first few games, he missed the game against Southern Miss or didn't register in the game in Southern Miss. Only a couple tackles against, uh, you know, A&M. And But the last two games against Middle Tennessee State and against UNC, he's starting to show up in the box. He had, you know, he had five tackles in each game. He registered a sack in the Middle Tennessee, a half a sack. He has three and a half tackles for loss total for the year so maybe rounding into his own um again new defensive coordinator we were seeing it here figuring out what to do with guys right who have played a prominent role because you know last year and you know really his really his second third year um you know just 26 tackles so you know it's just interesting. You see a guy so highly rated and not do the production, it's wonder was he a potential casualty of not getting developed correctly coming out. For All sure. right, Brian, let's take a look at one more player, and that is James Williams. Six-foot-five, and twenty four defensive back, um, and he was – you know, we, we kind of went up and down. We had some low guys. We had some mid-90s guys. This is one of the elites of the elites. Um, Five-star, composite, and with 247, top 15 nationally. He was the top safety in the 2021 class, a top five player in Florida. Obviously, you hear that 6'5 and over 200 build, and he was 215 coming out in high school. He was already ready, made. What's he look like on tape?
1: Uh, He definitely pops on tape, and they actually uh, have deployed him in a lot of different ways this year. Okay, Um, You'll see him kind of as the the sandbacker, that primary uh, coverage linebacker in this 4-3 defense. You'll see him lined up in nickel when they go nickel. You'll see him at strong safety. Um, So they kind of move him – different positions, depending on what other personnel is on the field. He rarely comes off the field. Okay. Uh, they just, they just redeploy him in a different way. Um, but definitely the best player on the defense has a, that Chamari Connor type type role where he's doing a little bit of, of this, a little bit of that. Um, but I mean, he's a really good tackler, plays well at the line of scrimmage for somebody that's in his first year of doing it. Um, he's better in zone that he is in man coverage, but he's not a liability in either. Okay. Um, but the, the, the real only weakness in his game is that he can get fooled with kind of that misdirection and play action. So uh, if, if we're going to kind of get him out of position, that's the way to do it.
0: All right. So, uh, trying to think some misdirection. We're not seeing much misdirection recently with this offense. More,
1: more play action than misdirection.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. He himself, um, Kind of already proven and improving in the stats from last year to this year. He played significant role in 2021. He had um, you know 31 tackles, couple picks. This year, already what five games in? 21 tackles already. Um, already a pick, uh, three pass deflection. So he's definitely a problem wherever they put him on the field because six foot five, 225 pound guys with good athleticism. They aren't made every day. So, no, nope. I don't think we'll, I don't think we'll, we'll want to, we'll see him for at least a couple more years. Um, and overall, with the, you know, the Hurricanes defense in general, um, you know, 15 sacks for the year as a team. Um, again, Harvey's leading the way, but it's a lot of one and a halves, twos. So, it's not as, it's not any one player jumping out. You know, they seem like a solid defensive unit. Um, but let's talk about that scheme, Brian, of Kevin Steele. Again, Longtime defensive uh, coordinator, Kevin Steele.
1: Yeah, it's a 4-3 scheme, something we're, we're used to seeing Miami run. Um, they're aggressive without being hyper-aggressive in the, in the blitzing category. Um, they don't leave their corners on islands like we saw last week with Pitt, so it's a little bit more um, zone, zone coverage mixed in there. Um, they have below average corner play. They're not very good at cornerback. Okay. Um, inexperienced, but talented in the safety group. Like we've talked about, um, that group's still learning. A lot of them are kind of red shirt sophomores or younger. Um, and, and they're kind of just mixing in and seeing, seeing what they can do. But there it's, most of those guys are kind of the four-star rating rated players there. So. Um, they've got a lot of talent in the safety room. Just they're they're still kind of putting the pieces together, um, but above average front seven, uh, pretty good, pretty good linebacker play overall. Um, and you know it's a solid unit, but they will give up big plays. So that's where we can probably take advantage of them. Um, is in that big play category. Hopefully we can pop another uh, couple big shots down the field like we saw against Pitt this past week.
0: All right. Let's hope that's the case. And something else I want to mention real quick, and I hope this doesn't bite us in the errors. Running back room, what do you think their longest run of the year is, Brian? Uh,
1: 40 yards, 50 yards?
0: 26. Okay. So, you know, obviously after last week, getting gashed, I'm sure run fits will be... Let's knock on some I, wood. That, I, I don't,
1: we don't... Uh, We don't double that come Saturday.
0: Well, also, I got a feeling correction Sunday
1: was all about run
0: fits for the defense, all levels. All right, let's flip to the Hokie keys for this game, and we're going to start out here, Brian. And something we've done, still done good at, got popped a couple times this week is the Hokies red zone defense. And it's more looking at through the lens of the Hurricanes Reds on offense, which ranks 73rd in the country. They're only converting about 80% every time they get down there. Um, So there's that opportunity, right? If we force them to drive the field, unlike UNC, this is a team that doesn't punch it in all the time. They leave points on the field. And, you know, you watched a little bit of that game Saturday – what what happened a few times when they got down there?
1: Uh, they had one where they kind of busted into the red zone, had a fumble late in the game um, mm-hmm. that that killed a drive. Um, they had a turnover on downs that killed a drive, and they weren't able to punch it in one time that they had settled for three. So um, they really only had, you know, three touchdowns on, on six trips last week, if you count the one where they got into the, the red zone on the rush before they fumbled it, so... Um, if we can keep them around that same number and, um, you know, both in trips and, and conversion rate, I feel a lot better about what we can do, uh, this weekend.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, anytime, anytime you can do that, right. Anytime if they get down and you stop them, but it still goes to that big point of what we keep saying when this team can get teams to have to drive the ball without big chunk plays better things
1: happen. Yep.
0: Better things happen. And we saw that Saturday, you know, when they couple t- when they weren't breaking the big ones, Pitt really wasn't doing that much offensively, including making a mistake when Keonta Jenkins made the pick um, and gave us the Hokies a short field. So I- I'll be interested to see how Pry plays this with a team that's not showing as much explosiveness as the Hurricanes. All right. The other thing is going to be the Hokies' passing offense. A, because Grant Wells is coming off his best game. We yep. felt like we may have found something having Brad Glenn in the box with Tyler Bowen. Uh, again, Glenn, who had been an offensive coordinator prior. But also because of Miami's passing off defense. It's it's horrible. Um, you know, they are 105 in passing yards allowed. That's not good. That's no. below a lot of bad defenses that we've seen. They are What's, bad at cornerback. <laughs>
1: well,
0: you said it. We didn't talk about any corners. Usually we try to bring up one corner or someone who's covering. We didn't talk about any in the, you know, the players to watch for for the hurricane. The other one, and this is, to me, I like this metric a little better than just yards allowed. The pass and efficiency defense – what if I told you Brian there are only 15 teams worse than them?
1: That's wild. It's considering <laughs> the the talent that on that team.
0: So yeah, so w- what do you think just looking you know, I say passing offense, we look at their numbers, we show they aren't good. What sort of route concepts where do you feel like we need to attack this week?
1: Uh we need to make sure that we're kind of running Caleb Smith on some of those fades that we saw this past week where we had some success. Um, We saw Lofton with a, with a corner route for a touchdown. Um, Yeah. Things like that, where we can kind of either get the cornerback, not sure what he's supposed to do, where he's supposed to, where he's supposed to go um, or things that kind of put those corners on an island in man-to-man coverage and and let a a big body like Caleb Smith um, get position and make the catch there down the field.
0: All right. Um, Daquan Wright, Nick and uh, Nick Gallo, do we need Do we need a Nick Gallo game from earlier this season along with Wright's been doing? Is that going to help with those short intermediates?
1: Yeah, and, and those are going to be the ones that kind of keep us on the field. Those are going to be the stick movers, and that's, that's what we're going to need. We're going to need a good combination of those stick movers with some of those shots where we can take advantage of their weakness deep down the
0: field. Awesome. All right, something else I wanted to look at in – this is sort of – it's it's still good because even if we look last week, Pitt only converted 6 of 15 on third down, and they were 0 for 1 on fourth, So, 6 of 16 total. But our third down defense against Miami, and it's actually one of their strengths. It's one of their strengths. They are 32nd in the country in converting. So, they are essentially upper third um, of the country for that. They're converting about 46%. And even after the losses – if you if we get teams to third down, we're still one of the best units in the country. And and as we looked at the data and you looked at the tape and we see more and more, this isn't an explosive team. This no. is a team they have to drive. Yeah. And they gotta
1: matriculate. Now they might get some some of those, you know, a bunch of fifteen yarders to move yeah. you down the field, but they're they're not gonna beat you in one play like Pitt would.
0: Okay. So h- how key is that? How key is it? I mean, they're at 46. We're in the top 10, I think roughly about 27. Is there a number you're going to look at? Is it going to be, you know, is it, is it 35? It's weird, 30 to 35, where they're, they're roughly losing three drives or four drives converting a game. Is, I mean, is that what you look for? Or is it if we keep them to 40, we just we limit them one or two possessions?
1: I think if we keep them to 40, that that's kind of where we want to operate. Um, okay. And I think the bigger thing is, you know, when they are driving, when they are having some consistency, make them, make them have to earn it, make them have to run more plays. Cause the more plays they run, the more often they're going to make a mistake. So, you know, make the, make, if they're going to, if they're moving the ball somewhat effectively, make that a, a 12 play drive or they end up kicking a field goal. Cause they can't get it done in the red zone.
0: Yeah, and we we talked about Van Dyke tonight. And last year, Van Dyke, who played a ton, only threw six picks in over 300 attempts. This year, he's at 175. He's already at four. He threw one last week. He threw a couple against Middle Tennessee. He threw a couple. He threw one against Southern Miss, and obviously had his worst completion game against Texas A&M at you know 51 percent, discounting Middle Tennessee because he was pulled early in that game. So. It's like I, I kept drawing back to that third down because it is something they do good. But it's also something that if they don't do good, it's what happened you know, when they got blown out by Middle Tennessee or not converting down in the red zone against Texas A&M where they had some chances and they didn't convert. So it would be interesting to see that. All right. Last but not least, and I tussled with this one because I didn't want to be seem redundant. Or same old, same old. But, Brian, after what we saw last week, I, I don't think me or you are going to – it might be the rest of the season we say it. it's going to be how the Hokies run the ball.
1: Yep. And we, we don't have to be great at running the ball. Um, what are they giving up, One hundred, just over 100 yards per game right now? Yeah, 102
0: a game. If
1: If we're just over that, that might be enough as a team. If we're just over that, that that's effective enough because of how bad they are in the secondary. Okay. So right now, if we can hit that average, especially with how we played historically on the year and looking at, at last week, if we can build on last week and kind of put a similar type effort out there against this unit, that might be enough with all the problems they have on the back end.
0: So is this something where you're saying we run somewhere between 25 and 30? Runs similar to last week and yeah. end up like one ten, which would be what right at right at four, maybe a little under four carry. Yes,
1: 20, 25 to thirty carries total. You know, somewhere around one one ten to one twenty, I, I think would be a good output. Um, you know, we don't need to set the world on fire. If we do better than that, great. Because if we're doing better than that, that means we're probably controlling the ball and running out some clock in the second half a little bit. Um. But you know, I, I'd be I'd be good with just you know clipping over their average and, and getting a good you know twenty five to thirty carries to our backs and quarterback.
0: Yeah, and and what's one hundred and two? One hundred and two is a top twenty five run defense, and Pitt was giving up roughly one twenty five. Um, actually, so about right,
1: right the same ballpark,
0: right at the same ballpark, and we hit that average, and we just saw by hitting right at that average we were in the game, the passing lanes were opening up. We're not. I think the funny thing is our expectations right now are we, we, we kind of seen it, right? We've seen just one week of having a slightly better run game. We're not going back to the days of Jones and Suggs and Wilson and Williams, where we were getting 5.8 a carry and 6.3 a carry. We're seeing four work. Yeah. And, 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 You know, if the defense continues to play the way it has most of the time, and that little bit of bumping thing, there is a chance. And we'll flip over to game prediction now, Brian. I'll I'll lead off. And I want all those things to be good. I do. But I feel like we have yet to put four consistent quarters together. And – As as crazy and wild as that game was on Saturday, we saw it was spells in the third quarter and the end of the fourth quarter where we didn't put it together. It was probably roughly 10 minutes, eight, 10 minutes. We just didn't play good on either side of the ball. And in those eight minutes, we didn't score any points and we gave up 20. And so unfortunately for me, because until I can see us at least put three and a half quarters together, (laughs) three three and a half. I'm not even asking for three and a half. Fifty-two minutes. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Fifty-two minutes. Um, maybe a little more than that, maybe fifty-five. I I gotta go Miami twenty-eight twenty-three, um, after a hard fought loss for them and after a hard fought loss for us.
1: Yeah, I've got it a little bit closer, but right in the same ballpark, 27-24 Miami. Uh, and the big thing is kind of what you said. We still have not put three phases and four quarters together in the same game. You know, we we saw some progression on offense. We saw a little regression on defense. We saw very inconsistent on special teams this past week, despite mostly playing a clean game. Uh, you know, we, 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 we had probably one or two more penalties than I'd like, but clean now overall 70 clean 70? overall yeah clean overall um and you know if we if we can put those together I like our chances but I still have to see it and until I see it I'm going to probably still stick with with picking our opponents especially in a matchup where there's more talent and depth on the other side of the ball
0: and and, so, and that's the, and that's the tough part is you see their flaws and it's like the flaws we have to we since we still can't play a four-quarter game, we're not going to be able to take of those, advantage of those flaws all the time. There's going to be times probably, I'm sure you're saying in your head, there's going to be a time where we get behind them and we're going to miss a throw. Or we're going to take a sack.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't have to play a perfect game to win this, but we've got to play an 85% game. And we've we've been playing mostly somewhere between 50 and 70 yeah. So we we got to we got to play an 85 percent clean game from a execution standpoint, um, from a time management game management standpoint, from taking advantage of the plays that are there standpoint, to not not shooting ourselves in the foot uh, between penalties and, and turnovers. There's just there's so much that we got to do. If we can get to that 85 percent level, we'll be competitive and 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 squeak out some wins probably against anybody left on our schedule but we just haven't seen that enough to where you can kind of, you know, take a chance on that. So that's kind of where I'm at. I hope I see it this week.
0: Yeah. I I, I hope,
1: I hope we finally put all the pieces together or at least most of the pieces together in one game where there's not those glaring portions, whether it's coming out of halftime and, you know, looking like shit for the first three or four drives on offense, which (laughs) has been consistent. And that's fed over, that's bled over to the defense where we were not playing complimentary football. And then we give up one or two scores in that same period.
0: And that's it. And that's usually the game.
1: and, and, And that's where, I mean, we ended up flipping that and got, got two quick scores to get ourselves back in it. You know, late third rolling into the fourth there against Pitt but we were one sudden change away from, from another collapse. So we've got to, we got to respond better and we've got to come out of halftime a lot better when the, when the adjustments are there and not take another half a quarter to a quarter to figure out, okay, well, this is how they've adjusted. Here's how we can counter. We got to be quicker with that.
0: All right. Well, Brian, since our game is a 1230 kick, I'm probably missing it all. I'll be watching it on replay at some point in time in the house here. Um, there's some good news. The thing is, me and Brian are looking for our big screeners here, and we both look at two of the 12. These are nice, and it's like, shit, we're not going to watch these. I'm not going to be able to watch them anyway. So what's your big screener for the week? Because this is a loaded week, six top 25 matchups, all times of the day, night, early, you know, noon, late. you got Penn State, Michigan, you know, is a huge kickoff at 12 o'clock. I know me and you both thought about doing that one, but you pretty much said, well, I'm not going to watch it. Why am I going to put it as my big screener? Um, You know, you got NC State and Syracuse. Syracuse is unbeaten still.
1: Mississippi
0: State, Kentucky, and then USC, Utah late. So we kind of – want to
1: get into the argument, is, is Syracuse the worst undefeated team left?
0: I mean, I mean know, there, there, there
1: was a timeline debate about that. Uh, you know, some, some, some orange fans got butt hurt. Um, but you look at their schedule there, you know, depending on how things go, the next few games, they might not even be bowl eligible until the last game of their season.
0: It's true. NC state, Clemson, Notre Dame, Pitt, Florida state, wake and then Boston college who has played better as of late. Um, yeah. Gave uh, Clemson a pretty good fight on Saturday night. But, Brian, all those good games, we'll probably be catching the afternoons of most of them. What's your big screener and why? Uh,
1: I'm going Alabama at Tennessee. Uh, that's that's the biggest SEC matchup of the week. Um, we still got Hokie transfer, Hendon Hooker, pulling the string at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um. Still, you know, still still pulling for him big time here. Um, Tennessee, uh, seven and a half home dog. Uh, and I'm taking them in the points in this one. I think it's going to come down to the wire. I'm not, I'd like to take Tennessee outright, but I think it's going to come down to the
0: wire. All right. That's good. I, I like that. Um, obviously, there are the rumors. Is Dolly Parton going to be the picker? On, I hope
1: uh, so. I hope so.
0: That'd be sweet. Let, let, let Dolly do it. All right, with me. National treasure. National treasure she is in every way, in all sorts of ways. Oh. Um, me, unfortunately, Brian got to lead on the big screeners this week. We literally have to go back and forth because it's just not fair for one person to lead and
1: <laughs> take the best matchup every week.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, So this week, I, I can't take the Bama Tennessee game. I will have it on here in the cave, probably on the big one. Um, right behind me here. But the other game at 330, another huge matchup, you know, Okie State at TCU, Okie State unbeaten, ranked in the top 12, TCU ranked number eight, coming off the huge win at Kansas. Um, Okie State is getting four and a half here, and I got a, I got a buddy at work. Um, his dad was an Oklahoma State alum, and me and him had a good conversation about all the stuff Gundy's done. there. good. And really, in the last five, six years, the defense has gotten a lot better. And, you know, when I was kind of looking through, like, how good, and, and excuse me, Oklahoma State is a TCU's twelve. you know, Oklahoma State gives up only about 24 points a game. And TCU, they're both scoring in the 40s. I can't – Okie State has proven to me defensively they can play. TCU hasn't. They've played a couple scrubs and given up some points. I'm not knocking SMU, but they give up a lot of points to SMU. So if you're giving me four and a half points with the fighting Mike Gundys, I will take plus four and a half, and I will call Okie State wins outright. So money, hammer the money line, take the points as well. Brian, anything breaking since you and I started an hour and 40 minutes ago?
1: I think we're good, buddy.
0: All right. We can can punch off here, man. Let's punch it. And that does wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast source. Including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts, we still ask you guys leave messages, leave reviews. You know, we're always looking for better feedback. Um, any potential, you know, thoughts about future episodes, ideas? We're we're open to a lot of different things. Now, as always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in and play us out. Check him out on his new website, jasonlongmusic.com, where it will link you to all of his music on Apple Pie, Spotify, his YouTube account, and his Facebook page. He is going to be playing from 8 to noon at the Grandin Village Farmer's Market down in Roanoke, so check him out there. And then uh, a week from tomorrow night, so we'll mention this one again. He is going to be at Food Tuts Wednesday Market at Golden Cactus Brewery on two one four Fifth Street, Southwest in Roanoke from 5 to 830. We thank you for listening. And a really big shout out last week, all listeners out there. It was our biggest episode ever with Coach Joe Rudolph in the preview for Pitt. Over 1,200 views or downloads. We really appreciate that, don't we, Brian?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Big show. Um, really appreciate everybody checking it out, especially the folks that jumped on YouTube, uh, saw a big uptick in views there. So that, that
0: was huge. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. We always thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.